Turn to uh, Revelation chapter 2, if you would please. Revelation chapter 2. But this too shall come to pass. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. I want to look at the church in Revelation tonight. We're going to cover two chapters. We're not going to read all of both chapters, but there are a number of verses I want you to see. Scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 2, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Go down to verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Go down to verse, let's see, 11. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Verses 12 and 13. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the, seven, the, uh, hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest and where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Go down to verses 17 and 18. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Verses 18 and 19, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, These things are right, these things saith the Son of God, which hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Go down to verse 29, or, or verse 19, I guess. I know thy works and the charity. I already read that. Okay, go on down to verse 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Over in chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Down to verses 6, 7, and 8. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. And has kept my word and has not denied my name. Go down to verses 13, 14, and 15. 
says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Down to verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, you have the letters to the seven churches of, well, you know it as Asia Minor. It was just simply called Asia in the scripture. That's the area of what would be the western part of the country of Turkey today, these seven churches. We have absolutely no idea how large these churches were. I mean, we don't have a, we don't have a membership role. We don't have a count to know how many they ran every Sunday at their best day or their worst day, for that matter, either way. We do know that they were all started basically about the same time. We don't know the total impact of any individual church, nor all of them necessarily together. And here's the thing, none of those churches are around today. None of them. The good ones or the bad ones. Churches come on the scene for a while and then they pass off the scene and it may be for any number of different reasons. Somewhere along the line, though, it appears that there was failure. All the churches being started around the same time and eventually would go astray. You remember when God called Israel back in the Old Testament, he gave them instruction. He gave them laws. He told them what he wanted. He was very clear in his word. And Israel would get excited about what God would do for them for a while, but then they kept wanting to do their own thing. The same thing happens in churches. You look at the church landscape today. Uh, you understand as independent Baptists, there was not an independent Baptist movement in itself. Basically, Southern Baptists were doing a lot of the work uh, in this country through the latter part of the 1800s and then the 1900s. But then as liberalism began to creep in, then people decided to start coming out because they wanted to return to the Bible and not be held back by a denomination. Same things happens with other denominations as well. You could go back to the Church of England, the Church of England. Of course, that came about because King Henry VIII wasn't allowed by the Catholic Church to divorce his wife, married somebody else. But nevertheless, later you had the Methodists that came along with John and Charles Wesley, and they started their holy club meetings. They were called by their enemies Methodists because they had a method to their meetings. But now today you have groups like the Wesleylands and the Nazarenes, and at different times what happened is they got more liberal. People came out of there wanting to return to the teachings of John Wesley. And uh, you find that going down through church history, that is often the case. As the songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Now, what stage we're in right now at Madison Baptist Church, we don't have a clue. I mean, for all of us who went to Tennessee Temple back in the 1970s or 1960s in that area, uh, all of them thought, man, this is a place that's going to be around for decades upon decades. And yet we haven't even died yet. And it's, it is no longer there. It is totally gone. The school itself, the buildings have been given to another, not even a Baptist denomination. And Madison Baptist Church, there's the building that they used to meet in is there, but the church is no longer there. And one day, it'll be that way here. 
Do you understand that? How soon that happens depends on how committed we're going to be to the truth. And then the next generation that comes along, how committed they're going to be to the truth. I've heard people say, why don't we have more of our people be faithful to church, more of our people grow up and they end up wanting to go to places that don't have the standards and don't have the rules. Guess what? That's not new. That's happened to groups throughout church history. This just didn't take place when the independent Baptists came along. And guess what? When our churches are failing, when our churches start, stop standing on the book, then there'll be another group that'll rise up out of that, wanting to return to the scripture. Because God has always had a remnant. I'd rather be part of the remnant walking the old paths than be out there in the new paths and no longer be holding the line. What a shame to be part of that lukewarm group that doesn't stand for anything but having their own way. But every group has suffered through that. They've gone through it. And so, so many of those groups are just a shell of what they once were because of it. Now, he's writing to these seven churches of Asia Minor. I want to give you some background to them. It's going to sound like a Sunday school lesson for a little bit. But there are some tremendous lessons putting all seven of these letters together. So I'm going to give them to you in a nutshell about what takes place. First of all, the intent or what is the purpose of these letters. Now, some people have felt that these letters are prophetic in purpose. As a matter of fact, some people have likened the church at Ephesus to the church from Pentecost to 100 A.D., and then they see the church at Smyrna as being the New Testament church from 100 A.D. to 314 A.D. And they would call that the martyred church, as many people were martyred as they stood for the truth. And the religious crowd, what happens is they come in and they water down what was there. And then they begin persecuting the ones who continue to stand. And then the church at Pergamos, they see that as being the state church from 314 to 590. That's the beginning of Roman Catholicism in there with Constantine beginning it, of course. And then the church at Thyatira being from 590 to 1517 AD. That's called the pagan church. And then the church at Sardis from 1517 to 1800 AD. They call that the Protestant church. And then the church at Philadelphia, 1800 to the rapture, the raptured church. But they've got to do something. If you believe that these are prophetic in nature, then you have to do something that's different than all these other age-type things. You've got to say that the Philadelphia church and the Laodicean church are around together at the same time. That's one of the reasons, well, there's a couple reasons why I do not believe that these churches are prophetic in nature. I don't believe there are different parts, different times in the church age. It also would make then the church at Pergamos the Roman Catholic Church. That it would make that the church. That wasn't the church. What about the, Bat the Anabaptists that were around and that were being martyred for their faith? There was still a true church around. I'm just simply giving you this because there were a lot of people who came up with this list. It sounded good to them, sound like it worked. I don't believe that it does. So I, it makes you wonder, if that be the case, then are we talking about the professing church or the true church, regardless of that. I'm laying it out there. You'll read about it. You can come up with what you want. I don't think it fits, and I don't see how it possibly can fit. But then there's the past purpose in that, first of all, this. These were seven actual churches in Asia Minor, 
in that western part of Turkey. And these are letters to seven churches that existed and the problems that each one of those individual churches had. And then there's the present purpose. I see a past purpose. I see a present purpose. You say, what do you mean? I believe that these seven churches represent different churches throughout the church age. Let's just say, for instance, let's just pretend for a second that all churches that are out there were independent Baptist churches. And only independent Baptist churches were the churches that were out there. The problems that are mentioned in here, there would be some church somewhere that had the same problems. You understand? These are problems throughout the church age. That hasn't changed. That's always happened. And so these messages are, yes, given for us today. I don't know what stage we are in as far as Madison Baptist Church is concerned, where we're at in this. I'll say a little bit more about that when we get near the end of the message, and you'll get an idea then that we're getting close to the end of the message. But uh, so you definitely see the past purpose and that these were actual churches that he's writing to. Number two, that the present purpose is that the same problems can be found today in any churches that are out there that are still standing by the stuff and believe the word of God. Now, in the content of these letters, there are several things that these seven churches have in, co- have in common that the letters do. Each letter has a commission to the angel of the church. You'll notice, you get back to chapter 2, verse 1, under the angel of the church at Ephesus right. And then you go down through this list, and each one of these letters begins like that, under the angel of the church. Now, the word angel, now, is he writing a letter, for instance, to an angel that is hovering around the church? I'm not going to dismiss that. The word angel itself, angelos, literally means messenger. If that be the case, then I'm an angel. No, if that be the case then he would be writing more than likely to the one who delivers the message at the church, which would be the pastor. Uh, Either way, this message, now if an angel somehow got it to the man of God that was there to be given out to them, or it's referring specifically to the messenger of the church or the pastor of the church, this was a message that was from the Lord Jesus Christ himself for these churches. And may I say that this book is a message from God for his churches. We are to get it. He means it for us. It's, this is not a book of suggestions. You understand that? God means what he says. And he expected these churches to obey what he gave them. We need to get serious about the fact that this scripture is authoritative in nature. He wants us to be holy, he wants us to be right. And we have the Acts 1-8 goal to be witnesses, not only in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, and in Samaria, but unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that doesn't change at all, no matter how old we are. So each letter has a commission to the angel of the church. Each letter describes a character of the Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, you take chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, the stars and the candlesticks are explained to us back in chapter 1. 
when he gets a vision of Jesus, Jesus is holding the stars and the candlesticks. And if you look at verse 20 the la- of chapter 1, the last half of the verse, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And where is Jesus? According to this, he is in the midst of the churches. Now, maybe that's why a lot of people don't want to come to church. They don't want to be someplace where Jesus is. But Jesus is in the churches. He's in the midst of the churches. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my, my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you know that five of these churches had some major problems to be dealt with. Yes, Jesus is in the midst even of churches that have problems. And he speaks to churches who have problems. You take the epistles of the Apostle Paul, either written to churches. One is written to an individual. Uh, Two of them are written to uh, past, uh, pastors, actually three of them are written to pastors of local churches and the others are written to the churches themselves. And they have problems. The church at Corinth had problems. And what Jesus wants is he wants the problems straightened out, not people staying at home hiding because they don't want to be involved in something that's unpleasant. Listen, where people are, there's going to be times of unpleasantness. And God expects his people to grow up and to be involved, being a part of his church. If you're saved, you're to be a part of his church. So we have a character, some characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ in each of these. For instance, you'll notice in verse 12, and to the angel of the church at Pergamos, right? These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now, what is the sharp sword with two edges? Everybody knows this. It's the word of God, isn't it? Now, That's Jesus. It is his word. So we've got a characteristic of Jesus mentioned to each one of these different churches. And it's different to each church depending on what he's wanting to do in that church. Each gives a critique of the church. In each one of these churches, he says, I know thy works. Do you realize... He knows every good thing about Madison Baptist Church. And he knows every bad thing about Madison Baptist Church. He knows. He knows. The world may not know, but he knows. And he's the one we're going to stand before. And we need to understand, Madison Baptist Church isn't our church. It's his church. He bought it and paid for it with his blood on Calvary. Just read Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He bought it. It's his. We better be careful how we handle it. We're not here just to rip people's faces off. There are times the angel of the church has to do that. I mean, there are times for reproof and discipline. That has to be done. But you see, that's because we've got this on us. And we're in the world and we're in the battle. Of course, we're discussing that on Wednesdays right now. And then each of these letters also gives counsel to the church. It's different counsel for each one. Each promises a confirmation to overcomers. And I'll say something about that in just a moment. And each gives a command to those who have ears. Now, I look around here. 
course, some of these ladies, your hair's long enough, I can't see your ears. But how many here don't have ears? Raise your hand. Ah, I'm assuming, of course, if you didn't have ears, you wouldn't have heard me say that, would you? <laughs> so maybe I need to ask it the other way. How many here have ears? Raise your hand. You got ears. All right, very good. And so if we have ears, what are we commanded to do? To hear. In other words, it's not just a matter of hearing noise. I hate to admit this. I've got a, I've got a book. It's kind of a dull book uh, written by a great Christian, but it's just kind of a dull book. And so if I'm wanting to go to sleep, like, for instance, last night I got up about 2 o'clock and uh, I didn't want to bother anybody, so I went out, got on the couch, and I turned on the tape of that book by this great preacher who just talks. He doesn't yell, doesn't get excited, anything like that. And, boy, within five minutes I was asleep. That's why I turned it on. And I thought, you know, if you can get anything by osmosis, then maybe, perhaps, I'll even remember some of it one day in my, in my unconscious, <laughs> yeah, in my subconscious, okay? Uh, but he gives us a command, we're to hear. When we come to church, you're here with a purpose. You realize you're going to give an account for everything you hear. Whether you like it or don't like it, you're going to give an account for everything that you hear. Now, notice the commission. Each one begins with to the angel of. I've stated that. Won't spend any more time with that. When we talk about the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus describes himself differently to each church depending on what he's going to tell them. Ephesians, uh, Ephes, <laughs> church at Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the candlesticks. Uh, to the church at Smyrna, in verse 8, he is the first and the last which was dead and is alive. By the way, same statement made in chapter 1, verse 8, and also verses 17 and 18. He was dead and is alive. That's all of chapter 1. In chapter 2 again, in chapter 2 and verse 12, to the church of Pergamos, he has a sharp two-edged sword. To the church of Thyatira, chapter 2 and verse 18, Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire. That normally speaks of judgment. And feet like fine brass. That speaks of judgment as well. That church had some problems. And he was going to have to deal with them. He's going to tell them to repent. Church at Sardis in chapter 3 and verse 1. Jesus describes himself as he that hath the seven spirits of God. And he that hath the seven stars. By the way, you go back into the book of Isaiah. You read about the seven spirits of God. That has to do with the wisdom of God. He is all wise. He is always right in everything that he says, and we would be wise to pay attention to everything that he says because he means it. Now, to be sure, sometimes we preachers, Brother Nelson, get a little frivolous. He never does. He means it. This is his word. We like funny. I like funny sometimes too, but we need to always understand he means what he says. Serious stuff. To the church at Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 7, he calls himself he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that openeth and no man closeth, and he that closes and no man opens. And to the church at Laodicea, he describes himself as the amen, which is the final word, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The Bible begins, in the beginning God created 
Was Jesus there? He was. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the one who created all that is. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture, you see all three members of the Trinity active in creation. God the Father creation, Genesis 1-1. The Spirit of God, Genesis 1-2. And you see the Son of God in in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And then you have a critique of the churches. I mentioned that, the critique of the churches. I know thy works. That statement is given to all seven churches. He knows our works. Now, six of the churches have some good things mentioned, some positive things mentioned about them. Five of the churches have some bad things mentioned about them, negative things. And it's interesting that there are two that had no bad things mentioned about them. Two of them that are not told that there was a need for repentance because there's nothing bad mentioned about them. Take the church at Ephesus. I'll go through these quickly. The good that he says talks about their labor. They were faithful to the truth and their patience. But the bad thing he says is you've left your first love. That was a bad thing. How bad was it? He said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. He says, if you're not going to love me, Like you used to love me, I'll take your church out. A lot of empty church buildings around the country today, and I wonder how many of those were taken out because they didn't have their first love anymore for the Lord Jesus. In other words, they didn't go doctrinally wrong. They went emotionally wrong. Jesus said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm I'm all for truth. You know that. I'm all about truth. But our spirit has to remain right too. It's not just a matter of having truth. It's truth and spirit. It's not just a matter of having spirit. Ah, isn't that church exciting? All right, are they preaching the truth? God wants both for proper worship. Then the Smyrna, the good things he says, he talks about their tribulation and poverty. He has no bad things to say about them at all. Here's the thing. A church doesn't have to have bad. Now, I know we got the flesh on us, but a church that's right with God doesn't have to have bad. This church doesn't have any bad things mentioned about them. It's not a rich church. It's a poor one, but he only talks about good about it. In other words, we could sit here and talk about how much we gave to missions last year, and it was a lot of money. People are shocked at how much we gave, but God's not nearly as interested as the amount or of the amount as he is about us being right. He wants us right, first and foremost. The church of Pergamos, they they were faithful to witness. They were faithful to the gospel. They were faithful to death. But they were lenient on separation, chapter 2 and verse 14. He tells them to repent. The good does not excuse them from repenting. The church of Thyatira, the good about them, charity, service, faith, patience, Last, more than the first, that sounds pretty good. But the bad, they had allowed the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which he says, which thing I hate. There are doctrines that God hates. Shouldn't be allowed. 
You know, this is why I'm not for people from all over the place getting together, from several different churches getting together for little Bible studies, because I'll tell you what it does. It puts every teaching on the same level. It puts error and false doctrine on the same level with pure doctrine. You got to be careful about that stuff. Well, we don't want to judge anybody. We don't want anyone to feel good. We ought to be more interested in having truth. Then the church of Thyatira, the good, he says about them, a few were faithful. The bad, they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. There are a lot of people have a name that they're alive and they're dead. Church of Philadelphia, the good about them, they kept the word of patience. The bad, nothing. Nothing bad is said about it. But now the church at Laodicea, that last one, nothing good is said about them, except what they said about themselves. But Jesus has nothing good to say about the church at Laodicea. They were neither hot nor cold. They were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. They had wealth and everything, but they were a terrible church. Now, it is interesting. When he talks about the good in all of these churches, he never mentions their youth program. Matter of fact, he never mentions a youth program. I, listen. We have a youth program. I believe we've got a good youth program. We've got a lot of good young people, all of that. I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, but that's not necessary to have a good church. And I wouldn't be leaving a church because that church doesn't have a youth program. It can be a great church and not have one. I would say in a church that he brags on, like he does a couple of these, that they had good families. And the key to having good young people is having good families that are going to stand by the stuff. It's not having a youth program. He doesn't say anything about a basketball program. He doesn't say anything about a volleyball program. He never mentions their building. Doesn't say anything about their building. How big it was, how comfortable it was, whether or not they had regular bathrooms or outhouses. He doesn't say a thing about it. You don't have to have that stuff. First church that I pastored, we had one outhouse. It was for everybody. I mean, it was an outhouse. And you had to worry about spiders and everything else in that outhouse. But that's the only one you got. What you do is you get in your car and you drive to the gas station. That's what you do. And when you got to go, that's what we did. Yes. It was about three miles down the road. <laughs> here's the thing and, and keep this in mind he knows us now when we say he knows Madison Baptist Church we're not talking about the building of course he knows everything about the building too but he's talking about every individual in the church because we are a people you know most of your body can be well and good and one part go wrong and you die you understand that? And it doesn't have to be a major part of the body for that to take place. Some cancer come up in a certain situation can end up killing you. Even though your heart's good. Even though your brain's still good. Even though you can still walk around. You see, it's important that the members of the church be right and be well. But that's to be right with him. And then the counsel to the church. It is interesting. He says, and repent. To five of the churches, he tells them to repent. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, repentance is mentioned more often for saved people than it is for lost people. 
Imagine saved people needing to repent. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, when he tells the saved to repent, that means they got to change something. They have to change. They don't have to just change what they believe. they got to change what they do if they're going to be right with God. You take the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was responsible to repent. They had an individual in that church committing immorality with his father's wife, and they were proud. They were puffed up. And he says, you've done wrong. Next time you get together, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Oh, no, we can't do that. We're all about love. No, you don't love them at all. You're like the parent that won't give the child the whipping he deserves when he deserves it. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That's early. That's when he needs it. And God chastens his churches when they need it. And then, interestingly enough, in, in all of these lists, there is the confirmation to the overcomers. Now, who is he talking about in all these things? Dealing with the overcomers. He says, for instance, in verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Every one of these letters has a special promise to the overcomers. Now, in order to find out who he's talking about, what you have to do is go back to 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5, he tells us who the overcomers are. You'll notice, he says, in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You understand the overcomer is not the guy who holds on to the end, who does the very best he can. The overcomer is the person to stop listening to the world, accept the word of God and took Christ as their Savior. That's the overcomer. So for every one of us who are saved, in the church, who are the wheat and not the tares. In the church, you've got seven promises here, one in each letter for the overcomer, every believer. God's got a lot of promises for all of us. But you read those when you read them next time. Go through these letters and look at the different promises that he gives to the overcomers. Because if you're saved, you are one. And then there's the command to each person in the church to hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. Now, I've given you all that basic. Now for the message. But, the <laughs> but actually, the message is very short. What does that mean to us? Well, first of all, he knows our works. Now I wonder, if Jesus was writing the letter to Madison Baptist Church, like he wrote to these seven churches here, and he comes to that part where he says, I know thy works. Would he talk about our outreach? How many people we're witnessing to in this area, getting, getting the gospel out to them? Or getting the gospel out to people around the world by sending missionaries out and supporting other missionaries? Would he talk about our missions? Would he, in talking about knowing our works, if he said any good things, would he say something about our missions giving? Or about our giving in general? Would he say something about that? Would he, would he talk about our enduring persecution? Well, the reality is we haven't endured any persecution, have we? 
Have we? I mean, really, don't you think that if we were with the saints, talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, in that last part, and others were tortured, if we started talking about how tough we had it as Christians, do you think they might look at one another and go, what's wrong with those people? We've not suffered persecution. Let me tell you what we've suffered. We've suffered plenty. We've got a lot. We've not suffered anything. God has so blessed us. Well, let's, let's look at the negative side of this thing. First, he says, I know thy works, as he did to several churches, and say the good things. What might he say in the negative things? Oh, I hope he wouldn't say, like he said to the Ephesians, you've left your first love. How are you with your first love? Are you loving Jesus like you used to? In the word, like you used to, can't wait to read it. Can't wait to see what he has there for you. Read it faithfully, excited about it. You remember when you first got saved? Remember what that was like in your life? Now, I understand for a lot of, a lot of people that got saved when they were little, you may not remember some things, and I get that. But people like me, I was an adult. I was 22 years old when I trusted Christ as Savior. And I enjoy thinking back about when I got saved. And, man, I wanted everybody to know about Jesus. I mean, at work, I, I bugged them at work. I went out and I bought bumper stickers, put them on the car. I mean, you know, everything goes better with Jesus. Now, I, I don't really think that's necessarily a good representative, but, I mean, I was just so excited about Christ. Got as many chick tracks as I could to pass out. And there's, there are some really good chick tracks that are out there, by the way. You just have to be careful about some of the nonsense. But have you left your first love? I can't tell you how many nights I've gone to sleep with, with moist eyes singing softly, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I mean, the still of the night, and you move your lips kind of humming a little bit, and you hum songs talking about how he loved us, how he loved me, or quoting verses like he loved me and gave himself for me, and just recognizing you're alone with him. Would he say of us, though, that we've left our first love? Would he say as he did to Pergamus, you've allowed some false doctrine in, doctrine that I hate? Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, doctrine of Balaam, doctrine of John Calvin, who put some of your brethren to death in persecution. Amazing how many Baptist churches allow that stuff in. I wonder if he'd say as he did to Thyatira, you've allowed immorality in your membership and false doctrine, both. Would he say as he did to Philadelphia, you've got a little strength, but you have kept my word. And I've opened some doors for you and nobody can close them. And I've closed some other doors and nobody can open them. You know, if God closes the door, I'm not going to try to push it open because you can't. But if God opens the door, we better step through it. And we better get it done. Now, as you know, we have, we have supported, for instance, the vision that Brother Stark had. I didn't have that vision for Rwanda. God gave it to him when he shared it with me. 
I thought, you know, this is an open door. Let's step through it. And we have, and God's blessed. That, that was an exciting testimony tonight. I enjoy hearing that. Could have sat back and said, no, nah, man, that's too much work. That's too much time. That's going to cost money. How are we going to get other churches to be a part? No, no. God gave him the vision. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. If we can have that kind of an impact on a country like Rwanda, that's powerful stuff. And God's not shut the door yet. We still got a wide open door. So we'll do what we can do. What he say as he did to the church at Laodicea? Yeah, you think you're rich. You think you have need of nothing. And don't know that you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. You're neither hot nor cold. I think I might have mentioned Saltillo, Mexico this morning. We uh, made several of our first mission trips down to visit Jim Joins, who's been in heaven now for a number of years. And I remember when we went out visiting there from his church, it was on a Saturday, and his people came out. And he said, Brother Allison, do you have a soul-winning church? I said, well, yeah, I think we got a soul-winning church. At that time, we were running about 300, uh, maybe, maybe 320. And he said, well, how many do you have go out? And I said, well, we probably have in a week's time, we probably have 70 or 80 out knocking on doors during the week, whether it be bus, we didn't have a big bus ministry at that time. But I said, we have about 70 or 80 that go out during the week. I said, how many do you run? He said, well, we run 45. I said, no, what I mean is how many do you have go soul winning? 45. Excuse me, you have... Everybody goes out? He said, yeah. Everybody goes out. Man, I stopped and I said, I'm sorry. I don't have a soul winning church. You're the one with the soul winning church. 45 out of 45? Can you imagine that? 45 out of 45. Lord, I thought we were doing something. And the sad truth is, for churches in America, those that went to Tennessee Temple, you'll remember when they were running 10,000, they'd have a big visitation on Thursday nights. He'd offer a meal to everybody who came out visiting, and they averaged 300 going out on Thursday nights. Now, I know they had more than that going out on bus visitation on Saturdays and stuff, but it was a big deal, 300 people. Coming in to eat, to go out soul winning, only to find out later some people just came in to eat and then went home. Because nobody knew if they went soul winning or not. See, there may be a number of reasons why that church is no longer there. But what would he say of us? So would he have to close with repent? Or else. You put the letters of these seven churches together. See what he says about himself. See what he says about them. And what would he say about us together? We're responsible together for what we are as a church. And whatever God tells us, as we pray like David prayed, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.
Lord, deal with our hearts tonight. I want to pray, Lord, show us ourselves. I'm not really sure I want to see what you'd have to say to us. And yet we need to. Just like these churches needed to hear what you had to say to them. So God, may the Spirit of God do a work on each of our hearts tonight. May we not be thinking about the people in the other section, but just each of us in our own heart. If everybody was as faithful as each of us are to these different things, whether it be giving missions, regular giving, going, telling others, being faithful, if everybody was like us, what kind of a church would we have? Lord, deal with us, I pray, to get right with you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.